The second reading of Scripture, our sermon text for this morning, is Acts chapter 20, 13 through 38. Page 929 of your Pew Bibles, I invite you to stand. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. So he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched Samos. And the next day after that, we sailed to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when, he, when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God, And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. this place in the book of Acts, 
we see the Apostle Paul completing his third missionary journey. It's amazing to see where he's gone, what he's done, where he's spread the gospel. Now he's constrained to go to Jerusalem. Much like Jesus, his Savior, was constrained to go to Jerusalem to suffer, Paul is constrained to go to Jerusalem. And he knows that him going there means affliction, means suffering, means tribulation, and and probably means imprisonment for him. And he knows this because everywhere he goes, people are saying, don't go back to Jerusalem. They have it out for you there. Don't go to Jerusalem. They, they want to put an end to you. They want to put an end to this mission of sharing the gospel. And yet Paul is just devoted to go back to Jerusalem. We learn later he needs to go to Jerusalem because he has on his person monetary offerings that are, are meant to be given to the saints there in Jerusalem. He knows he has to take that to the people of God there because only there can the gospel go full circle. And the the offerings being brought by the Gentiles who have now been included in the church be brought to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And yet we see Paul here. We see see all all the things that must have been on his mind, uh, the the torment that must have filled his mind on on this journey as he's sailing to Jerusalem. And yet what does he do? He takes this important pit stop because really there is something that he just can't let go of. What is it? It's his care for the church. It's his concern for the saints that he's leaving. He's planted all these churches. And one of the main, the biggest church he's planted is in Ephesus in Asia Minor. And the question that is on on, on Paul's mind, on his heart is, who's going to care for the saints? Who's going to take care of these new believers? Who's going to help them when they have questions? Who's going to lead them when they start to stray? And so you see the tenderness that he speaks of the church. And you see his his investment in the church when he says, pull aside here to this beach and get all the elders, get all the leaders, and you need to bring them. I'm going to speak to them on the beach. And I'm going to urge them this last time before I leave and, and probably never see them again. I'm going to speak to them of what they must do, the kind of leaders they must be. Can you picture that beachside meeting with Paul pouring out his heart, just just speaking to the elders as they've gathered with him on the sand outside of Ephesus? Well, this farewell speech was something that the Ephesian leaders need to hear and it's something that we need to hear. It's something that that Mr. Jones and I need to hear. It's, It's because we are leaders here at this church. And you also need to hear this because, as I made clear in our, our meeting last, last week, uh, the elders think that, that an, another elder needs to be called to this church to shepherd, shepherd a growing flock. And we're, we're going to be um, praying about that, looking into that, asking you to pray about that. Because we need to choose the right man. We need to choose a man who is able to lead. And able to hear what Paul has to say here. So this farewell speech is not just for the Ephesians. It's for you. It's for me. Teaches us that God's people need a godly leader. God's people need godly leaders. 
Well, the first part of this that we really ought to ask as we start to think about it is, first, why do we need leaders? Why do we need to be led? It's worth asking because we tend to forget. Why do you need to be led? Why do I need to be led? And the answer is quite simple in this passage. It's because we're sheep. It's because we're sheep. Psalm 100, you heard that? Very first words of, uh, of the call to worship. Uh, we are God's sheep, his flock, the sheep of his pasture. And then you, you heard, we sung together Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and he's, we are his sheep. He leads us beside still waters. And then in 1 Peter 2, we heard how we are sheep prone to wonder, and yet we've been brought back to the overseer of our souls. You know, it's interesting that God just keeps using that metaphor of sheep in the Bible. Um, you think, you know, God, why don't, why, why, why don't you call us eagles, right? Soaring majestically through the sky, independent and solitary. Well, it's because God didn't make us to be eagles. He made us to be sheep. And uh, the designation of sheep actually reflects many things about us. First of all, it means we're, we, we aren't meant to be this independent and solitary creature. We're meant to live in community. We're meant to be led. But we're also meant to be led because of our sin. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to stray. We're stubborn. You ever seen a sheep and how stubborn a sheep is? There's this video that just keeps popping up on social media for me. You've probably seen it. If you spend much time on social media, it's a video of this sheep and a shepherd pulls him out of this hole that he's got his head stuck in. And then he goes running and he jumps in it again. The shepherd goes over, pulls him out and he does it again. He does it like four times. He just keeps getting himself wedged in this hole. It's like, that's exactly what we're like, isn't it? God pulls us out and we dive headfirst in again. Then he pulls us out of our sin and we dive headfirst in again. We just keep getting ourselves stuck in all these different ways in our lives. And, and we're stubborn. We're hard to lead. But, but we need a leader. We need someone who's going to grab us by our feet and pull us out and say, no, not that hole. You're, you're supposed to get to the green pastures. That's us, friends. The sheep. Hebrews 13 17, I'm going to turn there. It reminds us of something important in the scriptures that we, we really are never meant to, to live lives of solitary independence apart from a shepherd, apart from authority. Um, chapter, uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of life, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And so we see this kind of, this is just a sample of the kind of things we hear over and over again in the Bible, that the New Testament assumes that we are always in, in an actual formal relationship with shepherds. Did you notice that? That really the New Testament, you can't live out the New Testament fully unless you know who your shepherds are and they know who you are. And churches handle that different ways. Sometimes they'll actually have um, uh, you know, they'll, they'll call it membership. Other times it's, it's strongly implied, um, even though it, it's not called membership. But it, there, should, there must be something like that. At our church, we call it membership because what we basically mean is we know who you are and you know who your leaders are. And we know who, who we are responsible for. 
That's what the New Testament speaks of. Leaders who are responsible, responsible for sheep. And the sheep know who their leaders are. And I'm looking out on a sea of people who, who have, I, I know a lot of you have that relationship. It's good. It's good that you have leaders because you're sheep. And I'm a sheep. It's good that I have leaders that I'm accountable to because I'm a sheep. And I know this isn't really in sync with our American individualism. We want to be the eagles soaring through the sky, landing on uh, perches where we, we get to look out and be alone. But, but that's not us. And that's not reality. We are sheep. So what kind of leader do we need? What's the kind of man you ought to be praying the Lord would call to join the elders here? A businessman? An intellectual? Great speaker? The first guy who's willing to say, hey, I'll do it. (laughs) You know, these have been some of the unfortunate answers throughout the history of the church. Lots of different ways at arriving who, who elders are, but usually it's something along the lines of, okay, who, who do we know who has a lot of money? Who do we know who, uh, who, who has a business that they've held together? Uh, we're just going to grab those guys. So we're, we're going to say, hey, will you be the elders? And that's not what scripture does. Simply not what scripture does. The scripture prompts us to look to a humble shepherd a capable shepherd, and an exemplary shepherd. A humble shepherd, a humble man. Notice where Paul starts. He's gotten them there on the beach. He pulls them um, up to himself and he's, okay, gather around elders, gather around. What's the first thing he says to them? Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. It's the first thing they hear. Pay careful attention to you, to yourselves. Point your finger at yourself first, shepherds. You see, here's the interesting thing. Many men will rise up, desire to be an elder. Why? Because they have critiques for Christ's church. Because they have problems they want to point out. But the kind of shepherd we need is one who first attends to his own soul who cares about his own holiness. And before, yes, it's important that he be able to identify the problems of the church. It's important that he has this this kind of responsible and caring kind of critique. But before he would do that, he has to be able to look at himself in his own life and say, I need a shepherd. You see, the best shepherd is one who knows he's a sheep and doesn't pretend he's not a sheep. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a man who is teachable. A man who's willing to learn. This is a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? Are are you willing to learn? Or is there a proud streak of independence that that insists upon dodging every authority that would would come and, and, and guide you towards green pastures? We need a man who's teachable. A man who says, I, I want to learn. I know I'm not always right. I know that there are, are blind spots that I have. So teach me. I'm a man under authority. I'm a sheep. 
just like Jesus. You see, Jesus submitted to his elders, didn't he? He submitted to his earthly father. Jesus didn't think that being a leader, an overseer, meant that he was somehow apart from, um, uh, from, uh, from authority. And so as, as a man who had taken on flesh, he submitted to his earthly authorities. And he did that knowing that that was good and right. And so, much e- so must each of us. An elder, the kind of man we would want to be called here, would be a man uh, who, who's, who's teachable, who's willing to learn. Not stuck on his own stubborn idiosyncrasies, but who says, I'll bend when I need to bend. I'll work with, with others. I'll be taught. A humble shepherd. Also a capable shepherd. A capable shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Two basic things. It's this simple. He feeds sheep and he fends off wolves. He feeds sheep and he fends off wolves. And in order to feed the sheep, in order to do this, he has to know the sheep. You know, I don't know if you've ever spent time with a shepherd, someone who actually has sheep, owns them for a living, but I've done that a few times. I've, I've been at farms. I've, I've even uh, spent time with a shepherd in Israel. And, and I've asked them, like, tell me about your sheep. Tell me about what you do here. And, and they'll start to point to different sheep. And they'll say, well, this one gets her head stuck in the fence. So I have to come here around 2 p.m. and usually pull her out of it. And this one, this boy over here, he spends way too much time harassing the lady sheep. And this one over here, he strays way too far from the flock, but... Uh, but but this, this girl here, she comes when you call. You don't really have to worry about her much. Just check in, make sure she's safe. This, this one over here, though, you have to lead him with a heavy hand. You have to raise your voice and he'll come. A shepherd knows his sheep. So must an elder know his sheep, know the flock. And how does an elder come to know the sheep like that? Well, as an elder comes to know the sheep through being involved in their lives, by being present, present when, when they're learning. So, so an, elder co- an, an elder comes uh, to Sunday school. An elder comes to home group when he's able. An elder spends time uh, uh, worshiping with the sheep. He, he's there because that's where the sheep are. And an elder spends time asking questions with, about the sheep's lives. An elder spends time praying for the sheep. An elder spends time getting, really getting to know them. And yes, it's very hard for an elder to know every single person uh, to the, the same kind of depth. An elder is spending time um, as he can and with, with the kind of people the Lord has given him, putting effort into that. Sometimes even sitting with people in their homes. Talking about sensitive, difficult matters, counseling. So an elder knows the sheep. And that's the kind of man that we ought to be thinking of. The kind of man who at least could, could grow to be knowing the sheep and is already demonstrating some propensity towards that. But there's also this. An elder, if he's going to be a shepherd, if he's going to be a capable shepherd, he... he He needs to know sheep, and he also needs to know the way of sheep. 
the, know, know how the flock works, know its tendencies. And, and, and another way to put this is he, he needs to not just grasp what the flock tends to do, but why it tends to do what it does. Now, that's a really important thing for a shepherd to know and for an elder uh, to observe. Think about it from, from, from an earthly shepherd perspective. You've got sheep and he, keep, he goes out in the morning and the sheep keep gathering at a trash heap and eating the trash. He says, my, he complains to, to his hired hands. You know, my, the sheep keep eating trash. They got to stop that. But you know, a really good shepherd asks this question. Why are my sheep eating that trash? What's driving them over to that trash? And, and how do I get them to the green pastures instead? And that's the kind of wavelength that our shepherds need to be thinking at our church. You know, Nathan, Andrew, myself, and, and, and the men that, that the Lord will call in the future uh, need to be thinking along the lines of this. Not just what our flock tends to do, but why you tend to do it. Why we tend to, to do it. The why question digs deep. You know, why do people struggle with spending time in the scripture? Why is it hard uh, to evangelize and, and, and spread the good news? Why uh, do, uh, do, does fellowship break down here or there? Why do, do certain patterns of sin permeate the congregation? Now, when you, when you move beyond the what and just and stop complaining about certain things and you get to, to thinking about why is this happening, well, then you're right on the cusp of answering, and here's how we get to green pastures. See, the why question is really important because it shows that you understand the sheep. You understand how they work. You're able to move beyond the surface level. Oh, that's what they're doing. And you're able to say, ah, here's why they're doing it. And then a shepherd has to feed the sheep. A shepherd has to, has to offer them that green pasture that's spoken of in Psalm 23. What is that green pasture? Well, it's the green pastures of God's word. And so the man who is going to be an elder here ought to be a man of the scriptures. Not a man who finds whatever advice he can from online forums and the chatter there, but really a man who goes when there's an issue to, to the word of God and says, I might not know everything about God's word. I might not be uh, an expert, but, 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 I, but I know that the Bible has the answers and I have some level of competence to handle them. Able to teach. Isn't that what we hear in First Timothy? That an elder ought to be able to teach. So an elder might not get up here and preach but an elder is teaching the word when, as he, as he intervenes, as he steps in to difficulties in your life and says, ah, that's your problem. Ah, that's the trash that you're eating instead of the pastures. Well, here, here's, here's the, the good word of God. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's reflect. What, do, what does the Bible say? How do we interpret it? How do we apply it? So an elder ought to be able to do that. Feeding people, sometimes house to house, sometimes in, 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 in brief conversation, sometimes in, in a short email. But an elder needs to, to see where the sheep are going. He needs to see what they're eating and he needs to get them to the word of God and feed them that. 
And while he's doing all of that, he's got to be a fighter because he's got wolves to fend off. And there's a prowling lion who's the devil as well, as we heard in 1 Peter. You know, uh, there is a good quote from the movie The Patriot. I think it's, it's the Mel Gibson character who says it, I think. He says, a shepherd needs to tend his sheep. But sometimes he's got to go fight the wolves. And it's true. It's true. There has to be something of a fighter streak in every elder, or there ought to be. And I'm not talking about this pugnacious, uh, rub it in your face, um, be, be rude and demeaning kind of fighting. I'm not talking about being ready to jump in and fight just for the sake of fighting, just to light things on fire. But I'm talking about an elder who's willing to fight when the sheep are really being preyed upon and to say, and, 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 and to fight in this way, to denounce wrong doctrine to point out error, to intervene. And sometimes if there's a physical risk to the sheep, to be willing to step in and lay down their lives before the sheep would be taken advantage of. Especially protecting our little ones, especially protecting the children. That's an elder. That's one who leads. One who's willing to fight the sheep. And, and, and note, or not, the fi- not, fight, not fight the sheep, <laughs> fight the, the wolves. But you'll notice that that danger comes in where? Not just from the outside, but an elder needs to be attuned that the danger, Paul says, can rise up from within. He says, even sometimes other elders become wolves. And so an elder has to be able to be on the lookout for that, saying, wait, what's that guy teaching? He's my fellow elder, and yet he's denying the word of God, and he's, he's, he's becoming a wolf who's leading people away from Christ? And he's stepping in and saying, not so, brother, you may not do this. Or he sees someone who claims to be a Christian acting in an unbecoming way with those that are precious to the Lord. And he steps in and he says, not on my watch. I will never turn a blind eye to to this. We'll bring in the authorities if we need to, but this will not go on. An elder has to be that kind of man. Feed the sheep, fight off wolves. Those are high standards, aren't they? Why such high standards for the leaders that we would have in our midst? Well, because these are valuable sheep. These are precious sheep in the eyes of their shepherd. Ultimately, the shepherds who look over the sheep in Christ church, they know that they are, they are but under shepherds. They are but hired hands who, who do the work of the great shepherd. Who? Jesus. Jesus is the overseer. Jesus is the great shepherd. Jesus purchased these sheep with his own blood. Did you notice that? It's, it's a wonderful statement here in uh, verse 28 of the deity of Christ. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. These are sheep which have been bought, bought with the blood of God, bought with the blood of the Savior. 
The only way that God has blood is, is in the person and work of Jesus Christ who took on flesh, the Son of God taking on flesh. Jesus died for these sheep. Jesus died for you. And so if you are one of his sheep, every single sheep has stamped on their back. Not, not a number. But we, we could say uh, the, the, Greek, the Greek letter key, which is, which is the first letter of Christ's name. As if to say, this one belongs to Jesus. Jesus' name is on you. That's why shepherds need to be knowledgeable, ready, eager, humble, capable, protecting. And really, we bring all of this full circle and we notice that an elder not only needs to be these things, but he needs to be an exemplary leader, an exemplary shepherd, by which we mean that he needs to live an example kind of life, a model kind of life. So much of this passage, you'll notice, is just Paul speaking to the elders and saying, hey, did you see what, how I lived? You see what I did? Remember that I fed you with God's word. Remember how I led. Remember my way of life. Remember how I was humble. Remember what I did. Now you do that. It's just Paul saying, I served. I laid myself down for you. You need to live by my example. And then he, he weaves this all together in the end by saying, it is better to give than to receive. In which he's quoting the words of Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying what I think we already know. You know, I think back to some of my Shepherds, there's been many of them in my life. Um, I think of the shepherds I've had at Redeemer. I think of the shepherds I had at Covenant. I think of the shepherds I had back when I, I grew up um, in, in the Lutheran church. Good shepherds. I don't think I remember many of their sermons. I don't think I remember much of their teaching. Now, that's not to say their teaching didn't guide and affect me and, and somehow make it, its imprint on me. It certainly did. But I remember their overall example. I remember they love Jesus. I remember that they spent time with me. I remember that they cared for me. And that's part of what we look for in a shepherd. We look at an elder and we say... He's got to be someone that you could imitate. He ought to be someone that you could model and say, he makes me want to be more like Jesus. Through the way he manages his, his household. Through the way he handles his finances. Through the way he handles God's word. Through the way he relates to women. through the way he cares for the sheep. We need an exemplary leader, a leader that we can follow by example, because ultimately Jesus is the example that we need. Jesus is the great shepherd. Jesus is the leader. And whether we look to, uh, uh, to the Ephesian elders or Paul, what we're really doing is, is we're casting off everything that is, is on the fringe or sinful, and we're saying, just show me what Jesus has worked in you, and that example ought to be mine. Give me Jesus. Give me the shepherd. Give me his example, and I'll follow. Now, friends, 
you might wonder here in closing, is there any man sufficient for these things? Is there any man? I mean, I thought of this this week and was deeply convicted about at every point where I could grow in greater depths as your shepherd. Is there any man who is sufficient for these things? Who are we going to find in our midst? Well, the answer is there may not be any man completely sufficient for these things, but by God's grace, he will raise up a man to serve in these ways for us. And he will strengthen the elders of this church already existing to serve you in these ways. Look at verse 32. Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. You see, it's the grace of God that takes weak and struggling and insufficient men and causes them to be an example for Jesus that they could not be in their own strength. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what the man who God would choose needs. So let's pray for his grace to take weakness and and make it sufficient by his power. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for shepherds, for the sheep, for your intervening and capable hand. Lord, we see, I see, Lord, that we need your grace. We need your power to make us what we are not so that we might serve the sheep well. And Lord, I pray that every, every person in this church, every, every person who's heard this word would be stirred up to be more humble, to be more faithful, to be more serving, uh, to know that it is better to give than to receive, to, to have a servant heart, to have a model's heart. And Lord, that in doing so, that you would raise up in our midst Uh, by cumulative effect, a man. Perhaps even multiple men, Lord, who in the future of our church would, 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 would lead well and that you would take the elders, including myself, and would strengthen us so that we are better elders than we are now and that we hear this farewell speech and, and take it boldly and become more and more models of Christ. We pray all of this in his precious name. Amen.